This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Every Bible turn to the book of Romans this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 1 is where we're at. If you have the Who We Call app on your mobile device, or if you don't, you should get it. Uh, click on our series on Romans on the homepage of our app. Uh, click on today's message, uh, and then there's a button that says fill in notes. That'll open up a web, web browser for you where you can type in your notes for today. Or just grab a sheet of paper and jot down some thoughts as we go through this uh, passage of Scripture this morning. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans uh, over the last uh, seven weeks. I think this is message number seven in our series. If you've missed anything so far, you can get caught up on our, uh, the Hui Kala app or through uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify as well if you want to do it that way. Whatever way you do, just uh, make sure that you stay caught up. Romans chapter one, we're going through this uh, passage. Paul's writing to a church that he's never actually visited before the church at Rome. Uh, he's trying to just encourage them in the faith. He, he gives us basically so much good doctrine on the gospel in this passage of scripture. And so uh, I'm so delighted to be able to get through this book uh, with you guys. So we're only seven weeks in. We haven't gotten that far in chapter one, uh, but we're about halfway through chapter one. I think that's an encouragement to you, hopefully, uh, because there's uh, 15 more chapters after we get done with chapter one. So, uh, but uh, I want to make sure that we, we're thorough as we go through this. So we'll be here for a while. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to read ahead and stay engaged. The title of today's message, Fruitful Faith, Family, Relationships, and Friendships. And we'll take a look at that uh, this morning. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 8 and go through verse number 12 this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you both by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit amongst you also, amongst other Gentiles. Friendships are kind of a funny thing. My daughter, uh, Tallulah, she's four years old, and we were, uh, I was, dropped my daughter, Makili, off at school, and we were driving back, and she was just staring out the window very intently, uh, as four-year-olds often do, just pondering the, the deep things of life, of course. And I said, hey, sweetheart, what are you thinking about? And she said, Dad, I'm losing all my four buddies. And I go, what? what do you mean your four buddies? And she said, the only four buddies that I have left are Adina and Cora. And I said, well, what happened to the rest of your four buddies? I don't know what a four buddy is, but I'm asking like I do. And she says, well, they all turned to five buddies. And I go, okay, like all of them? She goes, yeah, like everybody's a five buddy now. Well, how do you go from being a four buddy to a five buddy? And she goes, oh, dad, you have to have a birthday. Oh, I understand now, four, four buddies, four-year-old, five buddies, or five years old. It's like, oh, okay. And she goes, like, everybody just became a five-buddy and left me behind. And so, like, her voice was cracking. I was like, it's okay. She was like, I know, but on my birthday, I'll catch up. But it was like, uh, it was like a five-buddy explosion, and I got left behind. I was like, sweetheart, it's fine. And she was like, but my BFF is Avery Miller. And so for those of you who don't know, Tula's four, Avery is like, turns like 15 this month, right? And so, <laughs> sweetheart, do you know what a BFF is? No. That means a best friend forever. Oh, yeah, that's Avery for sure. Okay. <laughs> Does Avery know that? She's like, no, I don't think so, but she will. Okay, good. And so... Uh, Friendships to a four-year-old are kind of this weird thing. For those of us that are like introverts by nature, we, the term like friendship, is just like way too much commitment for us, right? Like, it's just like, no, I'm good. I don't need friends in my life. Uh, I'm okay with just me. Uh, for my wife and I, when we got married, she became my best friend. She's always been my best friend. She always will be my best friend. And so I'm kind of the person that, that I think in my mind, I don't need any more friends than like one, right? Like one is enough for me, like kind of my limit. But as we look at the Bible, <laughs> That kind of sometimes messes up how we want to do life sometimes, isn't it? The Bible actually tells us that we need friends in our life. We need relationships that help us, that encourage us, that are there for us. 
And, and again, if, you, if you're here today and you say, I don't really need friendships in my life, I don't think you fully understand the Bible, and I want to help you with that this morning. As we take a look at what the Bible says about faith-filled friendships, I want you to see, first of all, before we even jump into this, that the greatest friend that you will ever have is Jesus. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend as kind as he. No one else could take this sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. And I love that song because you think about the friendship that we have in Jesus Christ. We were not always friends of Christ and not everyone in the world is a friend of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that we were born into this world as sinners. You and I have broken God's law. Uh, God set up some very clear guidelines that you and I were to follow. And we've broken them, not just once or twice, but again and again and again. We continue to sin against God. The Bible tells us that sin has consequences. That because we've broken God's law, you and I deserve the punishment for that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. Because you and I have sinned against God, we deserve to die and go to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's the way that we can make payment for our sin. But God loves you and God loves me too much to allow us to go to hell without another opportunity. And that opportunity that he gives us is through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I broke God's law and I deserve to die. You broke God's law, you deserve to die, and we deserve God's punishment. But he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. We sometimes refer to this as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. What that means is that I was supposed to die, but Jesus died on the cross in my place. I was supposed to be punished by God, but Jesus Christ was punished in my place. And that while you and I deserve God's wrath, God is extending to us his grace, his mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and pay for mine. That anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus alone to save them can be saved, can be born again, and you'll know the greatest friend that you've ever known. Now, here's the, the, the really important part. And if you get nothing else out of today's message, get this. You must make that decision for yourself. I can't make it for you. By, by growing up in America doesn't make that you, mean that you automatically have a blanket forgiveness across you for your sins. You must make a decision for yourself. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That word born again is synonymous with another Bible word called saved. It means that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sin. And you have turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ. For me, I was a nine-year-old boy when I was born again. I accepted Christ as Savior. I recognized at nine years old, I hadn't done any major, serious, egregious sin against God. But I recognized that my sin was enough to make me guilty before God and that I needed to be forgiven. And Jesus Christ is the only way that you can do that. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, let today be that day. If there's never been a time in your life where you've confessed your sin to God, let today be that day because everyone needs a time, a date, and a place where I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. If there's never been a time like that for you, let that day be today because until then, your punishment rests 100% on your shoulders. And know this, you're not a friend of Jesus. Jesus actually says you're an enemy of his until you make that right with God. And so Jesus made a perfect example of what friendship looks like because he told us, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus gave his life for me so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Now, one of the great things, um, when, when you put your faith in Jesus and are saved, like a, a dozen different things take place at that one moment in time. You're adopted into God's family. All of your sins are forgiven. God declares you righteous, guilt-free in his sight of your sin. It begins a process that we call sanctification, where now for the rest of your life you get to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. But one of the great things that was given to you the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ is you were placed into the family of God. You're adopted. You're not naturally born into the family of God. All of us are, are adopted sons and daughters. And when you were adopted into the family of God, you got a new family. 
brothers and sisters who also have the same father who has adopted us because of what his son has done on our behalf. And so now that you and I are saved, now that you and I are born again, now that we are the friend of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we get to now de to develop relationships inside this new family that we have. And Paul kind of lays that out for us as we go through this passage. Now, it's important to understand, if you're new to who we call it, first of all, thanks for being here. Second of all, we derive everything that we say and do from the Bible alone. I'm not giving you today six tips to be a better friend and just kind of throwing out some things off the top of my head. We're going to go through this passage of Scripture, uh, verses 8 through 13, and take a look at specifically how Paul says we should love and care for one another inside the body of Christ. First of all, Paul tells us that faithful friends use their words to edify the word edify means to build up. It's, a, it's actually a construction term where we sometimes build an edifice. It's something that's built up to be the front. The Bible tells us time and time again that our words that we use should build up. Take a look at what Paul says in verse number 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul begins his letter by building them up and encouraging them with his words. Hey, I've heard of what a great job you guys are doing. Keep up the good work. Hey, I hear about your faith all the time, and man, it is an encouragement to me. And from the very beginning, he uses the words to build up. You know, we often are really quick to use our words to tear down, aren't we? For me, of all the, I think the, all the Yelp reviews that I've left, very few times have I left positive reviews. I want to air out why I'm angry. Very few times in my life I have tried to, to try to, to right the ship, have ever asked to speak to a manager to tell them about something good that they, that's taken place. Usually it's something to gripe or complain about. My kids can attest to this when I say, hey, I need to talk to you later on. It's usually not for me to pat them on the back and tell them what a great son or daughter that they are. It's usually to say, hey, I gotta, we got to fix this. And so oftentimes... We're critical with our words. We're quick to tear down, but we're very, very slow to build back up. We've got to swap that around and fix it. And I want to encourage you that even times where you have to say something negative or something harsh, that you first preface it with a praise. It makes it go down a lot quicker. As you see, Paul starts off his letter here with, with a word of praise. Now, a little bit later in Romans, he'll get into some hard things that he has to say. But he starts off with something kind to say. Even as you read through Paul's other letters he wrote to other churches, he wrote to the church at Corinth, which was one of the most uh, messed up churches in all of biblical history that we have. Most carnal, most sinful, most wicked by far. He begins with his letter with grace and peace be unto you. Uh, he calls them brethren, brothers, sisters. Before he gets to the hard stuff, he always gives a word of praise. Now, the only exception would be that would be Paul wrote to the, the churches at Galatia in the Galatian region. He starts off, there is no word of commendation, no word of kindness. He gets straight to the chase with that one. But that was the exception, not the rule. And so I want to be the type of person that uses my words to build up. Now, you might say that that's a little bit awkward, and it is at first. I promise you that. I don't know what it's like for, for ladies. I've never been a woman before, and I won't ever be. Uh, so I don't know what it's like for ladies, but I can speak for men, I think, when I say this. It's awkward for guys to build up and encourage other guys. It's just, it's just not something we're used to. I, I was talking to a man that, uh, this morning uh, who's on the East Coast traveling back today. He was telling me about some things that's going on in his life, and I said, hey, man, I just want you to know that I'm really proud of you for your walk with God and the way that you lead your family. And there was a pause on the other end of the phone, and he goes, thanks. And I realized, I think he just made it awkward. It wasn't awkward when I said it, but I think I made it awkward. But then I thought to myself, what do you say to something like that? Because guys don't talk to each other that way. Hey, I'm really proud of you for the way that you lead your family. I'm really proud of you for your walk with Christ. Hey, it's great to see you in church. You've been so faithful. Uh, okay, thanks. Because that's uncomfortable. I I'm trying to help you. Let's not make that type of conversation uncomfortable. When you see somebody doing something good, praise God for it. Hey, I, I see God at work in your life. I'm really proud of you. Keep up the good work. Hey, I'm encouraged by the prayer request that you shared in our small group this week. Hey, it was great to see the way that you dropped your wife and kids off uh, for, for church this morning and you led the way. Hey, words of encouragement that build up. The Bible tells us that 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth of that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. First of all, Ephesians 4, 29, we don't have time to unpack all this, but I want you to get this first of all. Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Christians shouldn't curse. We shouldn't use foul language. We shouldn't make uh, suggestive, inappropriate statements. We shouldn't uh, make unkind, uh, unclean jokes of any sort. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Amen. That's good, preacher. That's right. Christians don't do that. That's good. Keep it going. Yeah, okay. If you won't agree with me, I'll agree with myself. Uh, thank you. One person. God bless you. Um, you should have did it. He missed about like 30 seconds the first time. Uh, but here's the thing. Christians hold ourselves to a higher standard. I know for, for, for many of the, the folks in this room, you either are serving or have served in the military. Let me just tell you, that's a tough place to be to use kind words, right? To not let corrupt communication come out. Uh, I was in the Navy for six years, and let me tell you, we earned the badge to say that we cuss like sailors, okay? I, I grew up in public school. Uh, I heard every single word that there was to know by second grade on the bus on the way to school. I knew it. Uh, by the time I get to junior high, I used it. By the time I got to, to high school, that was just part of my regular vernacular and vocabulary. You say, well, I thought you were a Christian. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you always act like a Christian. I wasn't acting like a Christian join the military out of high school, and again, that just becomes part of your vocabulary. But then there came a point in my life where I decided I really want to walk with Jesus, and I really want God to be honored through my life, and I realized that there's a part of me that now has to die. Well, that's just how I grew up. That's just the way that I am. It's habitual. I don't even think about it. Good. Then you get to submit your thoughts, your heart, and your tongue to Jesus Christ as Lord and do what he tells you to do and speak how he tells you to speak. And some people might say, well, it's, it's just hard for me to get my point across without using foul language. Then I would encourage you to educate yourself and find new words to use. Here's the thing. I feel like I've gotten my point across very, very well over the last two decades, and I haven't had to use foul language one single solitary time. So let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but let your... Uh, that which is good to the use of edifying, use your words to build up, that it may do what? Minister grace unto the hearers. People should be encouraged by spending time with you because your conversation, the words that you use, build them up. And my wife and I, uh, early on in, in ministry, we began to spend a lot of time with people and things like that. We quickly found out that there are two categories of people. There are life givers. You are around these people. They just put wind in your sails. They're fun to be around. They laugh a lot. They have kind words to say. They're just, just being around them, just hearing them talk encourages you. We call them life givers. That Man, when you leave and you get in the car after spending time with these people, you're like, what great people. That was so much fun. And then there's the people in the opposite category. We call them life suckers. That like, as you sit with them, you realize, I will never get this time back for the rest of my life. <laughs> and as you continue to move your lips, you are slowly sucking the life out of me. And I can't wait to talk about how my big toe hurts and I really got to go home really quick. And then you leave and you're just down because everything's negative, everything's bad, everything's terrible. That's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that our speech should encourage people, that it ministers grace. Paul says it again in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. There's so much wisdom in that passage. Our speech filled with grace, seasoned with salt. What does that mean? That means it brings flavor. That salt in this particular context was something that would enrich the flavor of something. That's what I want my words to do. I want my life to enrich other people's life. And here's what I love at the end. That you may know how you ought to answer every man. That when you and I use our words, we have to use, here's your good Bible word for the day, discernment. Here's the thing. I can talk very harshly to other guys that I have a strong bond with. Look, I've been in the military. I've been on the receiving end of many tail chewings uh, where I just had somebody just in my ear yelling at me, calling me everything un under the sun. I can handle that. I'm a big boy. Here's the thing. I can't speak to my wife that way. I've got to have discernment. I will crush my wife's spirit if I speak to her the way I would speak to another coworker. 
And so I got to have discernment that you might know how you ought to answer every man. I need to understand my children's heart to understand within. There are times that I need to be soft and gracious, and there's times where I need to be strong. Hey, knock it off. If I ever see that again, you're going to wish you were not born. There's times for that. And there's times where I need to sit down beside them on the couch and put my arm around them and say, hey, what's going on? This is so out of character for you. Hey, help me understand where your heart's at. Talk to me. I need to have discernment with that. And that's what the Bible talks about when we use our words. There's times to be harsh and there's times to, to, to be soft. And we have to have discernment. Several years ago, um, we had a, a men's meeting. And it was a small group of us men, probably, I don't know, 10 or so at, at the table that we're talking. We we're talking about making sure that our, our faith has what it takes to go the distance and make sure that we're, we're all uh, faithful five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, still walking with Jesus. And I posed the question. I said, if... I see you or someone else sees you at this table stepping out of line in your walk with God. How would you want them to respond? Two men spoke up at the exact same time. One of them said, love me and be patient with me. And the other guy said, grab me by the throat and put me up against the wall. <laughs> and I thought, perfect. That is an absolute perfect explanation of discernment. I need to know the type of guys that I can grab by the throat and put them up against the wall. And I need to know the guys that I can put my arm around and say, bro, what can I do to help? I'm with you. Discernment. And so we have to be discerning with the words that we use if we want to be a good friend. And again, this goes for in your marriage. Let me just tell you this. You will catch more flies with honey than with vinegar every single time. You cannot go wrong being gracious and kind in your marriage. Will there be times to be firm and stern? Definitely, but that's the exception, not the rule. Your children need to be built up, not torn down. Look, if, if your kids are anything like my kids, they know where they're wrong and they know where they come short. They don't need you to pile on. They need you to encourage. And again, it's hard for me to praise when there's things that need to be corrected, but that's precisely what the Bible commands us to do. Let your words be seasoned with salt that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So faithful friends use their words to edify or build up. Faithful friends frequently pray for their friends. When I talk with most people, that I talk about what's the area of your Christian growth where you could grow, almost everybody says prayer. If there's an area of the Christian life where a lot of people struggle and say they don't really get any satisfaction or fulfillment from, it's usually their prayer life. And I, I, I question them sometimes on your prayer life what it looks like. For me, the times in my life where prayer was kind of a drag was when my prayer was all self-focused. Hey, God, do this for me. God, provide this for me. Hey, God, I'm broke. Can you pay my bills? Hey, God, can you fix my coworker who's a jerk? Uh, hey, God, can you make things a little bit easier for me over here? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And it's like all about me. But then that skews my image of who God is and why I'm actually here. I'm not here for my own personal comfort. I'm not here for my own personal glory. I'm here for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom. And my prayer life should reflect that. I would encourage you, if you don't have a prayer list, make one. A prayer list will help keep you on track. I've got probably three different prayer lists that I pray through uh, in a given week. If you, if you attend who we call it, if you've been here for more than a week, I pray for you and your family multiple times a week, if not every day. And so I got these prayer lists that I pray through, but you know what has helped me is being able to go back and look at my prayer lists. I have a, a, a prayer list uh, that I found a few weeks ago from 2012. No, it was, yeah, it was 2012. And one of the prayer requests that I had on my list from 2012 was that God would give us a baby. And we prayed, I prayed that for years. Prayer answered, 2018, our daughter Tallulah, she's four now. Six years I prayed that God would give us a child, and he finally did, and I checked that off my list. It had a check mark beside it. I was just like, yes, I love it. That's an encouragement to me because I saw, I, I remember praying, begging God, fasting that God would give us a child, and he did. And here's the thing, I'd forgotten all about those prayers until I went through my old prayer list. My prayer list, when people say, hey, could you pray for this thing I got going on at work? Man, I make a note of that and pray for that. And so again, I, I want to encourage you to have a prayer list and, and encourage you to pray for other people. 
one of the most encouraging things in the world that you could possibly do for me personally is pray for me, really. I mean, like, I'll take gift cards to Cheesecake Factory all day long. Uh, and so, evidently, here's the thing. I say stuff all the time. I don't even remember what I say. Evidently, at some point, I said something about making a Swedish fish lay. I don't even remember that. But no lie, that night I got two Swedish fish lays from some of the godliest people that I know that just love their pastor. So, like, that's an encouragement to me. I really, I really do appreciate stuff like that. And don't go out and buy Cheesecake Factory gift cards. You know, don't do that. I'm just saying. What would encourage me more? Just pray for me. That would do so much more for me. Now, again, please don't get me wrong. I love Oreo cheesecake. Did you know that hot, at Cheesecake Factory, you can ask for a side of hot fudge that you can pour over the top of your Oreo cheesecake? It takes it from like 1,600 calories to like 2,100 calories in one sitting. It's, it's, it's glorious. But much more than that, to say, hey, in my crazy day-to-day life, I took time today and I brought your name before the Father. That's, that's over the moon for me. You want to be an encouragement to somebody? Pray for them and tell them. That'll encourage, encourage them, guaranteed. Now, I've heard people say before, oh, well, well, the Bible says that we should pray in private and we should, shouldn't uh, tell other people that, that about our prayer life because we're trying to get glory for ourselves. Uh, again, you haven't read the totality of Scripture. Jesus says go in your prayer closet because people were praying outside in the open trying to get people to be impressed by them. Jesus says, don't do that. Go inside where nobody sees and pray to your Father in secret who will reward you openly. That's what he says. And again, if you read the totality of Scripture, Paul writes all the time. Like, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, every time I think about you, I pray for you. Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 4, always in prayer of mine for you all, making requests of joy. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, uh, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul was constantly praying for other people and letting them know. You want to be a good friend? Pray for your friends and let them know. I would encourage you even with this. If you have somebody who's not a Christian, and again, you've got to be delicate with this and do it with measure. Say, hey, this morning I thought of you and prayed for you. I hope you have a great week. And I think even to a non-Christian, they would say, wow, thank you. That's thoughtful. And so again, we want to be the type of people that draw people to Christ. Now, if you have an unsaved friend and you text them six times a week that you're praying for them, they're probably going to block you at some point. But again, I think with measure, we can tell other people, hey, I prayed for you. There's certain things that are going on in your life that I can do absolutely nothing whatsoever about. I want to, I wish I could, but I can pray for you. And God can do all things in your life. And so I'm just going to leave it up to the one who's capable to do those things. So faithful friends pray for their friends. Faithful friends make time for fellowship. Take a look at verse number 10 in our text, if you would. Making requests, if by any means now, at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul's saying, hey guys, I'm trying to, to work things out. I'm praying that God would give me opportunity to come and spend some time with you. Now, we know now Paul didn't know at the time Paul's writing, he's hoping to go visit the church at Rome and be able to be an encouragement to them, let them encourage him as well. Paul doesn't know it at the time, but we know now Paul never actually made it to the church at Rome. He never got the chance to sit down and have a meal with these guys. He never had a chance to join them in corporate worship, singing praises to God. Never had an opportunity to go out into the city streets of Rome and share the gospel with people. But he wanted to. And he was trying to Make time for that. Because Paul recognized the importance of Christians spending time with other Christians. You see, mature Christians recognize the importance of community and fellowship. There's a word that we find again and again throughout the book of Acts. It's a Greek word, koinonia, which means community. It means fellowship. And so many times, look, Baptists love to eat. We love uh, fellowship, and fellowship almost always in, includes food. But sometimes people think like fellowship means like, hey, we'll put some burgers on and sit around and talk. That's part of fellowship, but that's not all fellowship entails. Fellowship is, is you and I spending our lives together, doing our lives together. And you might say, well, that's, that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's okay. You'll get over it. Well, that requires an investment on my part. Oh, yeah, it will, but it's worth it. But mature Christians recognize, I need connections with other people. 
for me, I'm an introvert by nature. I, I, I man, people that I don't know, it just, it, it freaks me out. It scares me. I just, I'm not good with, with people. Uh, like my, my panic, uh, my fight or flight goes up and I just panic when I, I talk to people that I don't know. It makes me super nervous. But I realize I need connections with people. I think that was made most obvious to me when we, our church couldn't meet in 2020 for 12 weeks. Like, I didn't see other Christians every week. We didn't sit down and have meals every week. We didn't spend time talking in church every week. And I realized I missed that. I'll never forget, uh, Ron Grundy came by uh, one week. I mean, I hadn't seen Ron in like six weeks, eight weeks. And you know, when you see people out, you're supposed to keep six feet with your mask on. And like people were like, like double gloving at that time. Like if you touch somebody, they're going to die or get leprosy or something like that. I mean, it was crazy, right? But I remember Ron stopped by the church. And again, I, I unlocked the door and I stepped back. And the dude like ran up to me, like bear hugged me, like picked me up. And I remember at that moment, the feeling of like hugging one of my brothers in Christ. And I hadn't had that in weeks. And I realized how badly I need that. And you might say, well, that's not me. I promise you, you need it. Because if you've never had healthy Christian relationships, you don't know what you're missing. I'm trying to explain to you what you're missing. You need brothers and sisters in Christ that love you, that care for you, that are with you, that pray for you. You realize you need that. And so you got to make opportunities to make those things happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24 and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I love what verse 24 says, we're to provoke one another to good works. I need Christians who will ask me, hey, what'd you read in your Bible this week? I need Christians who ask me, hey, how's your walk with God been going? Hey, man, how can I pray for you this week? I need that in my life, and you do too. Because we realize that we're weak on our own, but we're stronger, we're better together. Our fellowship with other Christians is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If you look around the room today, you find people of all different ages, all different cultural backgrounds, all different life experiences, all different vocations, all different personalities and preferences that you can imagine. But the one thing that ties all of us together is Jesus. That's what makes us family. That's what makes us brothers and sisters. When you take Jesus Christ out of the equation, you got a lot of people here that don't have a lot in common with one another. We don't get to rally around our favorite football team. I don't even like football. I don't have a favorite football team, right? I grew up as a kid, I was a Cowboys fan as a kid because at the time it was America's team, right? And then I realized when you get older, how can everybody in America hate America's team? Maybe they're not really America's team, you know? I don't know. Sorry, Sattlers. Um, but not a football fan, so we can't rally around that. Maybe we could all agree on America's favorite pastime. I think probably one of the most boring sports in the world outside of golf is probably baseball, okay? So we can't agree on that. And if you're mad at me about that, I'm sorry. We'll, you can get over it later. I'm a basketball fan. I like the Lakers, but I find that most people that like bas basketball actually hate the Lakers. They're, they're an easy team to hate. That's for sure. I'll, I'll give you that. We can't rally around our favorite basketball team. What do we rally around? Without Christ, we have nothing. And so the closeness the bond that you and I have, that we can say, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I'm going to be there for you, I can help you, I want to help you, I want to meet whatever needs I can, I want us to walk through life together, arms locked together. What do we have that draws us together like that? Jesus is it. And so this causes problems sometimes when people decide, I don't want to walk with Jesus anymore, I don't want to obey the Bible I want to live in sin, but I still want to keep all my church connections. Well, the problem is, is that if you don't love Jesus and don't want to walk with Jesus, I don't really have a connection with you at all. We have no common bond. And again, sometimes people say, well, well, if you leave the church, they're going to shun you. 
Nobody's shunning anything. It's just the connection that we have no longer exists because you've chosen to exclude yourself from a relationship with Christ, which is the only bond that we had to begin with. Does that make sense? And so sometimes people want the benefits of the church without being a part of the church, and it just doesn't work that way. Because God has given us the body of Christ for the purpose of fellowship, strong friendships, strong relationships. That's why it's here. And again, when you remove Christ from that equation, we don't have a lot to, to bond us together. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7, I love this. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one from another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. You see, look, if I want to walk in the light and you want to walk in the darkness, 1 John 1, 7 says that we don't have fellowship with each other because we're walking different paths. And so again, our strength with our brothers and sisters in Christ is found in our strength with our relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. So uh, I want to encourage you with this. If you want to be a better friend, start by just being a better Christian. That will strengthen your ability, your capacity to be the type of friend that people need in their lives. One of the things about faithful friends is faithful friends help each other get stronger. <laughs> you see, a mature Christian will always have a non-believer or a new believer that they're trying to challenge to pursue Jesus. Always. This process is what we call discipleship. Discipleship is one person taking another person and bringing them along to a greater degree of spiritual fruitfulness. You need to have people in your life that don't know Jesus that you're working on trying to get to Jesus. I got a list of probably about eight people that I'm trying right now actively to get to come to church to get to know Jesus. And again, I'm having varying levels of success with that, but it doesn't cause me to give up. I have younger Christians in our church that I'm trying to pour into their life to help them to be more mature Christians. Because God's taught me a lot in my lifetime. I want to share my experiences with other people. Now let me pause here for just a second and say this. If you have children, if you're a father or a mother, the number one people in your life that you need to pour your life into to bring them along are your children. Period. We have, a, I believe, one of the best children's ministries in the world, by far top-notch their job is not to disciple your children it's their job to come alongside you and add on to what you've already the foundation you've already laid but it's your responsibility to teach your kids to be committed followers of jesus christ if you're married you have a spouse it's your job to pour your life into your spouse to help them to be more for the cause of christ and let me just take it up, up one notch for commitment's sake Gentlemen, it's your responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home and your marriage, and you need to lead by love, by example, and you need to do it well. But wives, you get the opportunity to pour your life into your husband. He's going to pour his life into you, and you guys can become better, stronger. But outside of that, I need people outside of my own home that I'm investing in, that I'm trying to bring to Christ, newer Christians that I want to spend time with, encourage them and help them. And you might say, well, I don't know a lot about following Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for more than 12 months, you know the, more than most Christians know. If you've had the opportunity to go through our discipleship program, you probably know more of the Bible than 90% of other Christians in the United States. And that's not saying like, like our, our program is, is super uh, excellent or next level. I'm just saying the majority of Christians in America don't know anything about their faith. So I'm encouraging you, find people in your life that you can invest in, that you can bring to Jesus, that you can, can help mold and shape and grow and develop. Mature Christians will also always have a relationship with another Christian that they can learn from. For me, I realized a long time ago, I don't know everything that there is to know. And so I try to read as much as I can. I try to read probably 30, 40 books a year just to help myself grow and learn more about things I don't know about. But I also want to spend time with other guys that are a little bit further down the road than I am. Guys who have raised their, their kids, who are all grown, who love Jesus. Man, I try to spend my time with guys who have raised their kids, whose kids don't love Jesus, to find out where they went wrong. I want to look at other solid Christian men and say, 
Hey, that's somebody that I want to shape my life. I want them to challenge me. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. By the same token, you should be having people in your life that can sharpen you and help you to be better. I, I really enjoy working out by myself. Uh, for, for two years, I, I couldn't even go to the gym. And so I worked out uh, by myself. I really enjoyed that. It was good. But then to go back to the gym and be around other people. I would say, well, I could never lift that weight. That's too heavy for me. But did you see somebody else do it easier? And you're like, well, I'm stronger than that. I could probably totally do that, right? And man, what do you know? Next thing you know, you're, you're pushing yourself further because of the influence of others. I remember when I was uh, in elementary school, uh, Nancy Reagan created this uh, drug resistance resistance education or drug awareness resistance education dare. And they would have people come to schools and tell you about the terrible things about drug use. And they began to talk about peer pressure, how peer pressure is going to, people are going to try to talk to you into doing things you don't want to do, but you got to have strength to stand up against peer pressure. But I didn't realize until I got older that there's a such thing as a positive peer pressure. Then I look at other people and I say, hey, they're doing good. I want to do good. Hey, he's treating his wife well. I want to treat my wife well. Hey, he's raising his kids to love Jesus. I want to raise my kids to love Jesus. There's such a thing, and that's what we need in our lives. We need people who will ask us hard questions. We need people that will tell us when we're out of line. I read a, uh, a quote man, probably 20 years ago, and it has stuck with me ever since. Real friends stab you in the front. And I thought, man, I love that. I need friends that will stab me in the front. I don't need people that are going to go and talk about me behind my back and trash my name and, and, and question my character. I need people who will come to me and say, hey, dude, you were totally out of line with that. And I can say, thank you, I needed that. I need that in my life. You need that in your life. You need mature Christians that can help you to be a better Christian. And when we think of even things like professional athletes, athletes that are training for the Olympics, do they train by themselves in their garage? No. They go to the Olympic Training Center and, are, and train with elite athletes and coaches from around the world. Why? Because they want to be at the top of their game. If you want to be at the top of your game as a Christian, surround yourselves with solid Christians. If you want to be a godly husband and father, spend time with godly husband and fathers. Don't spend time after work chugging beers with guys that are cheating on their wives or have ran through six or seven different relationships in the past 12 months. Don't do that. Surround yourself with solid Christians. <laughs> you might be sitting there going, hmm, where would one find solid Christians like this to make relationships with? I'm glad you asked. Because God gave us the local church, the body of Christ, the family of God to be built up together. That's why this exists. And let me just tell you this, if you're just showing up on Sunday mornings for a bit and then you're, you're gone and you're kind of hit and miss and you're not spending time getting to know anybody, you're missing out on one of the greatest benefits of the local church. And when people say things like, well, uh, I wasn't in church, but I, I went to church online. You did not go to church online, I promise you that. You might have watched a service online, but you did not gather together with the church on your cell phone or your iPad or your smart TV. You need to be with the body of Christ. You need relationships. You need people to push you. And there's other people that you need to invest in as well. And so I just want to encourage you. Seek those relationships out on purpose. Next we see that faithful friends are comforted together by their faith. Take a look at verse number 12 if you would in our passage. Romans 1.12. That is that I may be comforted together with you. By the mutual faith, both of you and me. Again, when we get together with other Christians, it's our faith that strengthens us. We find comfort in the Word of God. If you need comfort, words of encouragement, you'll never find greater words than those that are in the Bible. Now, I, I hope I can be an encouragement to you. And if you need a, a word of encouragement, let me know. I want to help. But run to God's word. If you need help, there's two places I always recommend that people go. Number one, the Psalms. If you're going through a rough spot, you will always find yourself in the Psalms. If you're having a great day, you will find yourself in the Psalms if you look. It's a roller coaster of emotions, a roller coaster of connection and closeness with God. 
And somewhere along those peaks and valleys, you'll say, that's me right now. There's somebody that uh, I was texting this week who said, hey, thought of you and prayed for you. And they texted back and says, thanks, I need it. I'm going through a really, really hard time today. Pressure's just way too heavy. And I sent him a verse from Psalm 18 that says, the Lord is my strength. He says, hey, I think this verse would encourage you today. I had to talk with another guy. He says, man, I find myself in this spot that you know, I'm surrounded by all these people that I feel like are smarter than me and better than me. And I don't even feel like I deserve to be in the same room as these people. <laughs> and I sent him a verse from Proverbs that said, a man's gift maketh room for him. Hey, God's blessed you and given you the opportunity to, to be in the presence of faithful men. It's because he's gifted you. Again, I can offer words of comfort, but I can offer nothing better than what the Word of God already says. And so if you're looking for comfort, you'll find it in the Word. That's why, again, you should have Christian friendships that we talk about the Word together. We find comfort in prayer. And again, if your prayer life is not comforting, maybe you're doing something wrong. You should be able to pray and pour your heart out to God and trust Him and trust His sovereignty, knowing that He's at work in your life. We find comfort in the testimony of others. I love hearing people's stories. I love opportunities we've had in church before where people get, get up and share the testimony of things that God's done in their life. And last July, our, we, uh, a Sunday fell on July 4th, and that evening we had people just share testimonies of times that God brought them through times of difficulty. And some had lost a child. Uh, some of them had lost a family member. One of them had gone through cancer and beat cancer. And they talked about the faithfulness of God. And man, at the end of the night, my heart was about to explode with gratitude for how good God is. Because you see, I know how God came through for Abraham. I know how God came through for Moses. I know how God came through for David. I know how God came through for Christ. I know how God came through for Paul and for Peter. I know how God came through for Timothy. But man, tell me about how God's come through for you. That's real. I can, I, can, I can feel that. I can touch that. I can identify with that. And I need to hear that. That's what our small groups, every single week of the world, we have small groups on Tuesday night. We have small groups on Wednesday night. Most of our groups will meet here on Wednesday nights. We have our kids program on Wednesday night. We have our teen program on Wednesday night. If you're not a part of a small group, you've got to show up on Wednesday nights. That's where it's at. Before we ever start, we share praise, something good God's done for you, and we share a prayer request, how you're asking God to come through for you. And I'm telling you this, It's powerful. When people just pour out their hearts and say, hey, here's something I'm struggling with. Hey, here's something I need help with. There's power in the testimony of other people. You think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus sat down, shared the gospel with her, that he was the living water. She went back to town and says, hey, I found a man who told me everything I've ever done. I think I've found the Christ. Come and see. And the Bible says that the whole city came out to meet Jesus Christ and begged him to stay for a few extra days, and he did. And the Bible, here's what the Bible says. We don't have time to turn there, but get this. The Bible says that many believed on Christ for his word, but many believed on Christ for her testimony. Get that. Some people saw Christ in the flesh, but it wasn't enough. But they heard the testimony of the woman at the well, and they said, okay, I'm sold. I believe it now. And again, Personal testimonies are so powerful. That's why the story of what God's done in your life to bring you to the point where you are today is such a powerful story. You might say, well, my story's not all that powerful. I promise you that it is. Look, just to show you how even society, the unsaved world, knows how powerful a testimony is. Turn on late night TV and you see infomercials. You see some guy who's like, oh, after I got married and started working an office job, I really let myself grow, go and Dane's 60 pounds and shows a picture of some fat guy and you're like, that's totally me, that fat guy right there. But I found Beach Body and P90X and I spent 90 days and look at me now and I shred him with a six pack and you're like, that's not me over there. But I identify with the first guy. But if he could do that and look like that, maybe I could do that and look like that. And it draws you in. Why? Because there's power in a personal testimony, isn't there? It's one thing to say, okay, this is how it is. It's another thing to see it with your own eyeballs. That's why your story of what God's done in your life, people need to hear it. Your story is so powerful. Faithful friends make time for each other, though, too. 
See verse number 13, Paul says this, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that I oftentimes purpose to come unto you, but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit amongst you also, even among the Gentiles. Paul says in verse number 13, Hey, I really wanted to get to you. I just haven't been able to get there. I'm trying to carve out the time to make it happen. I just haven't gotten there yet. But friendship requires sacrifice. You might be sitting here today saying, I don't really have time to invest in any more relationships in my life. I'm like tapped out time-wise, commitment-wise, things like that. Let me just tell you this. This is a life pro tip for you. In life, it's not about not having time. It's about not making it a priority. That's everything in life. It's not about time. We all have the same 24 hours. It's what do you prioritize? People say, well, I don't have time to exercise. You do have time to exercise. You just don't make it a priority. I don't have time to read my Bible. You do have time to read your Bible. You just don't make it a priority. I don't have time to spend time with other Christians. You do have time. You just don't make it a priority. It comes down to what is important. What are you willing to sacrifice? For me, I get up at 5 a.m., I read my Bible, I pray, I work out every single day. I give myself a little grace on the weekends. I, I sleep a little bit later usually, but man, I try to be active. Why? Because I know I need that. And you might say, I'm not a morning person. I couldn't get up at 5 a.m. I never said I was a morning person. I hate getting up at 5 a.m. Like, let me, let me roll, turn my alarm off. I'll wake up at like 9, 30, 10. That's just how my body functions. But I know that my time with God is a non-negotiable in my life. And so I back up the amount of time that I need to spend quality time with God every day. It comes down to priorities. You know, people want to say, hey, my time with God is a priority. My relationship with other Christians is a priority. I got, I got to place time on it. Next, friendship requires selflessness. So many times, Christians say things like, well, I don't really need any more friends in my life. First of all, I would probably disagree with that. But let's just say you don't need other friends. Is there somebody that could use a friend like you? What's that supposed to mean? Life isn't always about you. How about living for others and living for Jesus? Because Jesus himself said this, the whole Bible could be summed up in one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second's likened to it. Love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. So maybe being a friend to someone isn't about what you get out of it. It's about what you can put into someone. How about that? Could somebody use a friend like you? You might say, well, I consider myself to be a mature Christian. Great. Then I can name you 10 people that could use an influence, some encouragement from a mature Christian like you. Well, I don't have time for that. Okay, well, maybe you're not as mature as you thought you were. Hey, look, I know this. God has blessed me immensely in my life. Immensely. I want to pass that on to other people. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to share a word of encouragement with other people. I want to share my experience, my life experience, my testimony with people. That it, it, it's less about me and it's more about what I can give. Man, I want to be a part of a small group on a Wednesday night because I want to be encouraged by the testimony of other people, but I also think I have something valid to say about how God's worked in my life that I can share to be a blessing with someone else. But that requires selflessness. Wednesday night, what do I want to do? I want to stay home. Wednesday night, what do I want to do? Eat, watch TV, go to bed. Sure, that's fine. But to be a solid, godly Christian friend, it's going to require me to step outside of what's comfortable. It's going to ask me to do more for others and less for myself. And so again, you might be sitting here saying, like, I don't need more Christian friends. Hey, then you could be a good friend to someone else. Look at it from the, the opposite perspective. Some final Bible principles about friendship. If you want fruitful, faithful friends, show yourself friendly. It starts with being the type of friend that you would like to have to someone else. And it's funny, sometimes people are like, well, I've tried to make friends that, and, and I just have a hard time with that. Okay, I get it. You know, one of the dear friends in my life him and his wife used to attend church here. They, they live in Mexico now. He texts me at least every three weeks, at least, without fail, and says, 
Hey, Anthony, I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your family. How's your daughter McKeeley's health? My wife and I pray for her health every single night. That's a friend. That's a friend. Well, how many times did you guys hang out when they lived here? I think we had breakfast right before they got on the airplane. But we stay in communication, and I would consider him a dear friend. You know why? Because he seeks to be an encouragement to me, and he prays for me. That's, that's a friend that shows himself friendly. Look, you want, to be, you want friends? Invite people over to your house after church. And again, we can find a million and one reasons why we don't have people over. Angela and I, when we first started out in ministry, we were absolutely flat, dead broke. I mean, like broke as broke could be. Like, I thought we knew poverty. We didn't know poverty. We figured it out really quick, though. We didn't have a lot of money. We had a, a small 800-square-foot uh, apartment for us and our two boys at the time. Uh, and it was even tight in our apartment. We didn't have a lot of furniture or anything like that. But we wanted to have friends, and we didn't know anybody at, at the church we were at in California. And so we just invited people over. And no lie, we had chips and salsa night at our house. You know why? Because a bag of chips was like three bucks. A, a thing of, you're going to hate me for saying this, especially in California, a thing of like salsa <laughs> was like $2. Like you bought canned salsa. We did. We were broke. I'm sorry. Uh, it cost us five bucks. Hey, you guys want something to drink? Sure, what do you got? We got water. I'll take a bottle of water. We don't have a bottle of water. We got water. <laughs> California tap water at that, right? Ugh. We had a Brita filter, but it was, it was tap water. Water, chips, and salsa. Did you know that the people that we had over to our house that night are still friends of ours to this day? They weren't impressed by a spread of food. They weren't impressed by a big house. They were impressed by fancy furniture. They were impressed by people who were willing to be real and transparent and be, reach out and just be a friend. Still friends to this day. We can come up with a million one excuses why we don't want to make friends or why we can't have friends. Show yourself friendly. That's a Bible principle, Proverbs 18.24. But, but if you want faithful friends, it requires an investment on your part. You got to be willing to put out. Simple as that. I got to be willing to put out myself out there. I got to be willing to be open and vulnerable. I got to be willing to share. I got to be willing to, to get hurt. That's one of the hard parts about it. Is that by putting yourself out there, you're, you're putting yourself at some level of vulnerability. But at the end of the day, when it comes to friendships, you get out of it what you put into it. Bible principle He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully, he that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. Man. Do the best that you can to put yourself out there, to, to spend time with people, spend time with multiple people. Be friendly to every person that you meet. Have a smile on. Have words of encouragement. Be a blessing to people. And I promise you, you'll have more friends than you know what to do with. And sometimes people say, well, I have a hard time making friends at church. Hey, just stand in the same place for like 60 seconds. <laughs> this is the type of church that like, it's like, like ants coming to like a piece of candy that got left on the sidewalk, Right? You look around like you're by yourself and you don't know anybody. Our church attacks that like magnets, you know. Just hang out. Talk with people. Get to know people. Be friendly. But you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Be part of a small group. Man, I, I love our small group ministry that we have here on, on, throughout the week. We have a group that meets on Tuesday night. A group that meets, most of our groups meet on uh, Wednesday night. We just started a brand new group, Group 10. Doesn't even have a name yet. It's just Group 10 right now. We start a brand new group. But you know what I find powerful as I sit in those groups is when people are willing to be transparent and vulnerable. Man, that's when, I don't want to use this word awkwardly, but you get what I'm saying. That's where the magic happens, when people are willing to be transparent. Hey, pray for me. I'm struggling in being a parent. I yelled at my kids this week and I was unkind. I shouldn't have been. Could you pray for me? Hey, pray for me at work. I've had a terrible testimony because I have a foul mouth and I'm trying to turn it back around and... Uh, invite some people to church, but I just got to undo all the stuff that I've done. That's powerful. One of our groups, one of the guys in the group shared a couple of weeks ago, hey, pray for me. I'm four weeks sober. I've been struggling with alcoholism for 20 years, but God's really given me victory. And what do people say? Oh my gosh, can you believe that? That's so embarrassing. No, people are like, wow, that's awesome. And you know, it's interesting. The next week, somebody else shared something that was super vulnerable that they would not say in public. Why? Because they felt safe there. Because somebody else is putting into this community that we have here, I believe I can put in too. And there's power in that vulnerability. There's power in being open and honest and transparent with a group of people who have the opportunity to judge you 
but actually choose to love you instead. There's power in that, I'm telling you. Now, don't make any mistakes. If you stay around long enough and you're open enough with people for a while, you're going to get hurt, guaranteed. How many people in here, raise your hand, have ever been hurt by somebody in church? Raise your hand. My, name, my hand's up with you. Okay. Those of you that did not raise your hands, two things. You're either not being honest or you haven't gone to church long enough. Hang around, you'll get hurt, I promise you. Uh, why? Because we're sinners, but we're trying to be better. And sometimes sinners sin. And when we do that, we need to make it right. And please know this, if I've ever hurt you and haven't made it right, I want to know that like immediately today after the service because I want the opportunity to make it right. And if I know of anybody in our church that doesn't like each other, I promise you, I will get you together and we will make it right together because we don't allow drama and disunity in this church. Zero, zero tolerance policy on that. But know this, by being vulnerable, there's going to be some times where you put yourself out there and you don't get what you want, and you just got to push through by God's grace. Because it requires an investment, and it requires that you, you get out of it what you put into it. Final thought here today, if you want fruitful, faithful friends, you have to take the good with the bad. Again, it takes time, it takes effort. There's going to be good times and bad times like any friendship. Here's the awesome thing about Paul. Paul writes this letter to the church at, at Rome. Verse number eight. Hey guys, I've heard of your faith throughout the entire world. And you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. But you know what's interesting is you dig deeper into Paul's letter. You know one of the other things that he says? Because of your behavior, the name of Christ is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. I speak this to your shame. Wow. But you know why Paul could say that to them? Because he had said earlier, I pray for you guys every single day. I'm so proud of you and the work that you're doing. Your faith is a worldwide famous faith. Later he could say what he needed to about you should be ashamed of yourself for what you've done. Because he had a solid relationship with him. Paul didn't write them off when he heard bad things about him. No, you know what he did? He continued to pray for them more. When things happen that hurt the cause of Christ, Paul goes, wow, this is an opportunity to help somebody through something difficult and make them better as a result of it. He took the good with the bad. Paul was writing to them, saying that he was going to come. He never actually came. But you know what they did? I guarantee you they continued to pray and continue to love Paul, despite the fact that he never made it there. Because good, godly, Christian, mature friendships... You take the good with the bad. It is what it is. <laughs> I was telling somebody a uh, week before last, I said, something happened like six months ago, and I really felt like somebody was taking advantage of me. I felt like I tried to be a blessing to someone, and I feel like I got used. And it left kind of a, a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm not one to hold a grudge, and so I kind of got over it and gave it to the Lord and just kind of went on with life. But it just... It, it's one of those things that got stuck in my craw uh, that I just couldn't get past. And I was talking to my wife about it one night, and I said, this situation happened, and I really felt, felt like somebody took advantage of me. They knew that I would be kind. They knew that I would be gracious, and I felt like they used me. And my wife, she's so godly and so wise, she said, have you ever been praying for God to use you? <laughs> Babe, I pray that every single day, of course. And she goes, well, don't be surprised when God uses you. Well, no, 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 it wasn't God that used me, it was these people that used me. No, God used you. And she said, did you do it for them? No, I did it for the Lord. Okay, well, God used you. And that got stuck in my craw and I couldn't get rid of it. It's like, Urgh. I'm asking God for use me and God used me and now I'm mad at him for using me, right? Ah, it doesn't work that way. And you know what I decided to do? I decided to, to, to just, hey, Man, I was glad I was able to be a blessing to those people. I hope I was an encouragement to them. If they use me, that's between them and God. <laughs> the other thing my wife says that I absolutely love it. She says, well, if they, if they used you, then that's between them and the devil. It's like, ooh, I like that a lot better. <laughs> that's between you and the devil. Uh, but no, like, hey, if, if, if somebody's trying to get over on me, I'm just going to be a good friend and be gracious and kind and, and because I want to take the good with the bad. So I want to ask you, this. First of all, do you know Jesus is Savior, greatest friend you'll ever have? If you don't, you need to know him today. Second of all, what are the relationships in your life like? Are they mentoring, sharpening, growing relationships? If not, find some. I promise you, I'll help. If you say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling to make friends, 
let me know. I want to help you make friends because this church, I believe, has some of the finest Christians I've ever met in my entire life who love Jesus, who are a real deal, just trying to do their best. Not perfect, but transparent, honest, willing to, to invest in people. If you haven't made connections like that, let me know. I want to help you make those types of connections. But then at the same time, I want to encourage you this week to look to be that type of friend to someone else and pour into their life as well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.